Your average American today is consuming about 77 grams of added sugar every single day. So if you break that down, that's like 20 teaspoons of pure sugar. Just try to visualize that, right? Like 20 teaspoons of added sugar. Sugar for which we have no biological requirement. All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. As always, super excited to give you this show today. Been working on it for quite a while. I want to talk about this investigation that came out a while ago in Canada, talking about fast fashion. A lot of us utilize fast fashion because it's easy, it's convenient. You can get a lot of cool pieces, stylish, trendy ones for cheap, but there's a cost to it. I'm going to talk about that cost in the Knowledge Bomb. We also have Max Lugavere. He's a renowned uh, authority on nutrition. He has a few best-selling books, but he just came out with Genius Kitchen. It's a cookbook, and he's going to talk all about nutrition. Now, I have a lot of questions for Max. I want to talk about what are some of the healthiest foods out there, what his opinion on meat and dairy is, what his opinion on salt is. I want to know about everything. Max is always an open book, so it's going to be an amazing conversation. A lot of you already know his work. Super excited. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula 
packed with antioxidants that have been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. When it comes to fast fashion, you're going to get cheap clothes. As I mentioned, they're stylish, they're trendy. You can get them shipped to you at whatever time from wherever it is in the world, usually overseas, but there's a cost to it. Now, I want to talk about this investigation. It was done last year and it was in Canada and it was a marketplace investigation. And what they did was they looked into companies AliExpress, Boohoo, Fashion Nova, Shein, Zaffle, Zulily. And now these companies are notorious for fast fashion websites. They're super popular and it's grown over the years. Fast fashion pages are heavily celebrity backed. If you're driving over here in California, you get on the highway, you'll see a Fashion Nova billboard and there'll be some celebrities on there, celebrity singers and rappers. And it's crazy for me how much celebrities have gotten or how much money they have to spend for sponsorships. But they've had billions in sales. The global fast fashion market reached a value of nearly $68 million in 2020. It's growing, and for a reason. People like fast fashion. But the cost is in the materials and the exposures of which we and our children are coming across every single day when we're putting on these clothes. So in this investigation, they had a few pieces from all of these companies sent out to the lab, and the lab tested them for very particular chemicals. And what we saw was that some of these companies had major red flags. The company Zaffle, AliExpress, and Shein had red, red flags, whereas Zulily, Boohoo, and Fashionova had no red flags. But regardless, that doesn't mean that all fast fashion is safe, right? Even the ones that have no red flags, because very easily these cheap materials are used, and because of that, we're exposed to a lot of chemicals. First of all, something they tested for was heavy metals. I spoke about heavy metals ad nauseum. We know what they do to the body. Things like lead, aluminum, arsenic, mercury are being found across our food systems. But now we really have to talk about what our clothes are exposing us to. Now, these chemicals, not just heavy metals, but that I'm going to talk about, are not always only limited to oral ingestion, like we think about food, but we can also inhale them. They also go through the skin. So let's open our minds more to understand that, yeah, a lot of these environmental exposures have multiple routes of exposure. So there was heavy metals found in some of these products. We know that they disrupt the production of energy in our body. We know that they have an affinity for the brain for the liver, for the kidneys, so they can impair our detoxification mechanisms when our body's trying to detox those very things like heavy metals. So for us, we really have to be aware that heavy metals are like an atomic bomb in our system. They hit all of our organs. They have neurodegenerative effects, right? They have attention deficit effects. They have developmental issues. If you have issues getting pregnant, heavy metals should be at the forefront of so many of these conversations. And heavy metals were found in some of these clothes. What else? PFAS, right? PFAS are something that you expect to find in water. And it's something that 
if you have a good water filter, will take out the PFAS. But also these PFAS, forever chemicals, are a byproduct of the production process that are found in these clothes. Now we know they're connected to obesity. They're uh, connected to immune disorders. They disrupt our immune system. They're certainly connected to cancers and even reproductive disorders. So it's, it's wild to think that a lot of these questions that doctors ask, who's gonna ask, do you wear fast fashion? Is 90% of your closet fast fashion? But now we know if it is, or if you're choosing to give these to yourself, buy them for yourselves or for your children, we gotta start making shifts into something more sustainable and clean. Really one that was blowing up on a lot of these was phthalates. Now you may have heard me talk about these multiple times, but phthalates are a group of chemicals that are used to make plastics more durable. Now think about it. When you have these clothes, a lot of them utilize plastic. A lot of them are cheap plastic, but instead of them being stiff, they have to conform to the body because they're clothes. So what they do is they make plastic soft, right? They're malleable, they conform to the body. And because of that, they utilize it in fashion. So what are the effects of phthalates? Well, they have short half-lives. So unlike the PFAS that I just spoke about, which stay in our body 10, 15, 16 to 18 years, that's why they're called forever chemicals, PFAS, we actually pee out. Regardless, even if they have a short half-life of one, two, three days, we're still exposed to them so much that we can find them in people's bodies, just like BPA, almost at any given time. But they target mostly the endocrine or hormonal system. So if you are suffering with estrogen issues, testosterone disruption, progesterone issues, right? Acne, uh, reproductive issues, PCOS, uh, issues around your period, then you really have to start thinking about what role phthalates play in your health as well as BPA. They have a negative effect on multiple organs, just like PFAS and heavy metals, right? They're non-discriminant. And they typically manifest down the road as failed pregnancies, child growth issues, skin, respiratory issues. And a lot of people complain about the smell of these clothes when they open it up. And I would actually challenge you, not all chemicals have smells, right? Heavy metals don't tend to have smells. Phthalates do, um, BPA sometimes does, formaldehyde does. So when you open up these boxes or plastic, if it has a strong smell, you can almost guarantee that it's off-gassing these chemicals that are going to affect you, but it's not going to just be for that day. It's going to be for the life of the piece. So if you're wearing fast fashion and you're giving it to your kids, you know, I, I watched this video from Health Canada and there was a, a cute little purse made for children that was really high in phthalates, those plasticizers to make the, the, the purse malleable. But I mean, you put it, you give it to a little girl, at some point she might put it in her mouth, but still she's going to be touching it. It's, she's going to be rolling around, playing in it. And it's exposure and we have to reduce exposure to reduce disease. And that bag that had the phthalates in it, super flexible, it was $13 and it was from Zaffle. There was another bag, a little red purse, I'm pretty sure that was targeted for kids from Shein. It had 50 times the limit for lead in Health Canada. So you have to think about how the kids are gonna be exposed to this. Again, it's not just oral, remember that. AliExpress has a raincoat, and what do raincoats do? They repel water. But the chemical that it repels water with is PFAS, just like Teflon, how it's water resistant or it's nonstick. It's the same idea. PFAS, if you've ever seen the movie Dark Waters, I would actually recommend you all watch. It's a fantastic movie with Mark Ruffalo. 
PFAS are those forever chemicals that make us sick over time. It's not the things where you're exposed to PFAS and you go, ah, I'm really not feeling good. It's 10 years later, I'm not feeling good, I can't have a baby. I'm not feeling good, I have cancer. I'm not feeling good, I've developed diabetes and chronic disease. It's because the, the culmination of these chemicals in our body over time. And that's the water repellent action of PFAS. One of the worst items was found from Xi'an and it was a trench coat that had 20 times higher the amount of lead than is allowed in Canada for children, right? And the raincoat was made for kids. AliExpress had a bib that had elevated levels of phthalates on, a high, on the high end of what Health Canada says is safe. Remember, and think about a bib, you know, that's, that's where food is falling, that's where kids are picking up the food, they're eating it. So the whole point of this knowledge bomb is for us to just think about where we're putting our dollar, because it's voting. Whether consciously or subconsciously, where we put our money is voting for what we're agreeing and allowing. And these fast fashion companies will always look to the cheapest products, right, for the trendiest stuff to get to you products that on the surface look, wow, I saved $10, I saved 20, I even saved $30 on this. But remember, there's always a cost, if not to you, your children. So my recommendation is to stay away from the fast fashion. Look for alternatives that utilize materials that are organic or are not being sprayed with chemicals or not utilizing any chemicals to have a certain effect or secondhand or vintage shops, which I enjoy myself, uh, which is not fast fashion, more sustainable, more environmentally conscious, and really overall better for your health too. So check it out. You can look online yourself. You can type in the Marketplace Investigation of Fast Fashion. You can watch. They have about a 20-minute video that will really open your eyes. There's some good visuals. And, and explore it yourself. If, if it's something that you want to stay with, I would really limit it to the least amount of exposures. I really hope that helped. Can't wait to talk to Max. He's been here before. What a wealth of information. He's so articulate about how he presents his information. Super excited. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience a brew that's not only delicious, but it's also health focus. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well-being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health-focused principles backed by solid, scientific, research-based, rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity, and this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. 
Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses that work. I've been Opened and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights. And these are staples. And, I, and not just me. I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle. Staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen. It's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. The second time he's been on the show, the first time he blew it out of the water talking about brain health, but now we're gonna go into all things nutrition. The new book by Max Guevara, Genius Kitchen, is coming out very soon and cannot wait to have this conversation. My guy is here on the show, Max. My G, Dr. G, what up? Man, it's, it's, it's good, man. It's been like, what, a year and a half, but you're back and we were talking about your, your past books, but now you got this new book out and it's my first time seeing it. It's right here in front of me. I'm ready to look over it. A hundred easy, delicious recipes in there. Yeah, man, I'm super excited. It's a it's a two-in-one book. It's it's part recipe book. So you've got these amazing recipes where I've I've really worked my hardest to make sure that all the recipes include really accessible, low-cost foods that are gonna give people the most bang for their buck in terms of nutrient density, um, the ability to make uh, my readers feel a sense of satiety, which I think um, is is lost today for the most part because of the predominance of ultra-processed foods, which which we're gonna talk about. But then on top of the recipes is also a, a kitchen and wellness guide. So hmm. how to avoid exposure to environmental toxicants, which I know you're super passionate about. We talked on, about on the last episode of your show that I was on. Um, if you're spending the money and taking the time and expressing the love and care that it takes to buy high quality foods and to cook those foods, what a shame it would be to then be exposing yourself to kitchen-borne toxicants, right? Um, or say, if you're not digesting your food properly, right? If you're not reaping all of the myriad nutritional benefits that your food has to offer. So I kind of provide ground rules or guide rails, if you will, mm -hmm. um, in the first section, in the first portion of the book, in terms of how people can 
sort of optimize the kitchen environment, curate their own food environment, which plays such a, a large role in terms of what it is that we choose to ingest, and then also to optimize things like digestion. Super important. Fantastic, man. And, and to think, like, easy recipes for me is like, I'm not gonna be in the kitchen for two hours, which is which drives me, I'm actually averse to cooking if I see a recipe for more than like 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and and f for me, I, I'm encouraged when I know it's nutrient dense, different colors of the rainbow, and it's gonna be quick. So thank God, like there's a book out there that can really help guide that because I'll find books that are quick and short, but they're not nutrient dense really. And and it's not really, I don't feel satiated if I make those. But knowing you and, and your passion for food, it's 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 all in there. Yeah, I'm super, I mean, I had to learn on the job how to become a, a cook, right? Because I'm not a, a classically trained chef or anything like that. I learned how to cook because due to my mom's declining health, I really had to step in and take over that role mm -hmm. in my family, cooking food for my mom, getting her to start integrating some of the more healthful brain health supportive foods that I, that I discovered over the course of, of my um, research, providing healthy, nourishing meals for my brothers. Um, so, and that on top of the fact that I'm just passionate about food, as you mentioned, I love, I'm a foodie, I love eating well, yeah. but I don't have an endless amount of time to spend in the kitchen, right? And, and certainly I didn't, um, for the beginning of my career, I didn't have the resources to buy expensive ingredients and, and you know, and, and hunt for fancy superfoods and things like that. So, mm -hmm. I became really passionate about, you know, looking at the foods that are the most accessible, that are going to provide the, the most bang for the buck. And it has a range of foods that are um, plant-based. So I, I do have like a bunch of plant-based um, recipes in the book. I also have foods that use, that integrate animal protein, which I think is, um, if you choose to, to consume animal protein, can, can play a, a supportive role. So it really is like a broad, a broad book. And I also provide, um, you know, sort of my overarching dietary philosophy in terms of what people should try to eat more of, mm -hmm. as well as what they should try to avoid, um, or at least minimize. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to the question that we really want to talk about. Everyone wants to know, what are Max Lugavere's foods to truly avoid? What are the foods that are reaping havoc on our systems, the ones that we should stay away from, for sure the non-negotiables for you? Yeah, so I mean, I think at the top, you really have to talk about ultra-processed foods, which um, Above the conversation regarding carbs, fats, uh, animal protein, plant-based protein, it's really the ultra-processed foods that now Americans are consuming. 60% of the calories that your average per adult consumes come, comes from ultra-processed foods. And for children, it's even higher. It's like 70 to 80%. And these are the shelf-stable packaged processed foods that line our supermarket aisles. They're minimally satiating. There was actually a study that um, was funded by the NIH, came out in 2018, lead researcher Kevin Hall, found that when you give adults ad libitum access to ultra-processed foods and told to eat to satiety, so eat to the point, just the, the point at which in the wild they would, they would achieve that sense of fullness, right? That gratifying sense of fullness. That they would actually end up eating a 500 calorie surplus. Hmm. Um, whereas when they were switched over to a minimally processed foods diet, they ended up coming in at a 300 calorie deficit. So that, that's an 800 calorie swing determined solely by the quality of the food mm -hmm. that people are eating. But again, today, people are over consuming these ultra processed foods. It's no wonder that by the year 2030, one in two adults are going to be not just overweight, but obese, right? These mm. are the foods that are at the foundation of the obesity epidemic. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Food number one is get rid of, or at least minimize your consumption of ultra processed foods. I'm human. I still am around uh, packaged shelf-stable foods, and every so often I, I like to indulge. 
but it's just being mindful of yeah. our tendency to overconsume those foods. Too often when somebody tries to adhere to certain dietary guide rails, right, and, they, and they're unable to do that, they feel a sense of moral failure because willpower is a finite resource. And, and then they start to doubt their ability to get to reach the state of better metabolic health, of, better, of a better body composition. But it's the, it's the foods. It's the foods that are designed with the explicit intent of driving overconsumption mm. that, are, that are the problem. So getting rid of those. I think added sugar would be number two. Um, and generally added sugar, ultra-processed foods, they tend to go hand in hand. Um, but your average American today is consuming about 77 grams of added sugar every single day. Oof. So if you break that down, that's like 20 teaspoons of pure sugar. Just try to visualize that, right? Like 20 teaspoons of added sugar. Sugar for which we have no biological requirement. Sugar, I think one of the biggest problems is that it, it's hidden in most cases, and so therefore it's insidious. It's just, it adds up. It's not like it's one product in particular that's leading to that sugar deluge. It's that it's found in sauces. It's found in commercial breads. It's found in coffee drinks, right? You can go to a big coffee chain and just buy one beverage that has basically the entire 77 grams of sugar that your average American is consuming um, right there. And I think there are a lot of problems with added sugar. Now, your, your own personal Tolerance to added sugar will depend on, obviously, your calorie needs, how active you are. But in general, there have been studies that have shown that one single high-sugar bolus can actually elevate systolic blood pressure um, in, to a degree that persists for two hours after ingestion. They use about 77, 75 grams of sugar um, in that study to see that effect, which is usually the amount of sugar that they'll use in an oral glucose tolerance test. But that's like what we're consuming every day, mm -hmm. right? They also found that um, one high sugar meal was enough to reduce testosterone by uh, a similar degree. Hmm. Again, persisting for two hours afterwards. We know that testosterone is really important for mental well-being, body composition, um, libido, stuff like that. Hmm. Men and women both rely on, on testosterone. So added sugar, I think, is a, is a, is a big problem. And then I'm an, an advocate of avoiding grain and seed oils. I know that this is a more controversial um, well, it's controversial within the medical and nutritional orthodoxy. I don't think it's very controver controversial for like listeners of your podcast, for example. Um, but it's the oils like the canola oil, the corn oil, the soybean oil. We have to do our best to minimize our consumption of these oils. They're predominantly polyunsaturated fats, which, you know, the, 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 the medical orthodoxy and the nutritional orthodoxy can't see past the fact that they do lower LDL cholesterol, which provides some degree of value, right? But these oils are so, the, the polyunsaturated fats that these oils are, are predominantly comprised of are damage prone. They're prone to this chemical degradation known as oxidation. And studies have shown that commercially available oils, you take a random sampling of these kinds of oils, soybean oil, canola oil from the supermarket, they are already, they've already reached a, thresh, a threshold of oxidation um, that we really ought to be skeptical of um, in terms of the safety. Um, and then we cook with them, we consume them in restaurants where they're kept in fryers and they're heated and they're reheated and their fried foods are prepared in them. So we're ingesting these um, oxidized oils and then on top of that, byproducts of oxidation like certain aldehydes, which we know are mutagenic. Um, and, uh, and they also contain trans fats, which is another problem with them. 
We know that there's no safe level of, of man-made trans fat consumption. In fact, the FDA banned partially hydrogenated fats for that reason. But trans fats are still in the food supply in these oils because the production chain, one of the production steps that is required to create these oils is deodorization. And deodorization creates a small but significant amount of trans fats. Mm -hmm. And dose makes the poison. A little bit here and there, fine. I certainly ingest some when I'm eating out in restaurants right. um, because that's what restaurants typically use. Those are the kinds of oils that restaurants use. But it's just that the, the standard American diet is now awash in these oils. And it's, it adds up. It all adds up. It's like this insidious nature whereby your average adult now is probably consuming um, a, a level of trans fats that is probably not doing their health any favors mm -hmm. due to these, the, the production um, that these oils require. And for these oils, when we're ingesting them and they're already at the close to oxidized point or processed and then we're cooking with them, that's affecting our body in multiple ways, including inflammation? Yeah, well, a damaged fat damages you. And we know that you are what you eat with regard to these types of fatty acids, right? They're actually worse from this, um, than sugar from the standpoint of sugar, you know, you either will burn off the sugar that you ingest or you silo it later on as sugar um, to be utilized as a form of energy, which if you're performing high-intensity exercise, um, glucose-yielding carbohydrates provide value, right, for, for the active person, for the exercising person. But these oils, we know that adipocyte concentration of uh, linoleic acid, which, which is the predominant fatty acid found in these oils, has increased up over twofold over the past 50 years alone. Um, we know that these oils, uh, because they are so easily oxidized, and those oxidized fats then get chugged along on various lipoproteins, um, chylomicrons, for example, LDL lipoproteins, which gives those lipoproteins a more inflammatory phenotype. There was a study that was published in 1999, um, which showed that because these fats, they're damaged, they get, chugged, they get tugged along by these uh, lipoproteins, those lipoproteins are then more easily able to get taken up by a monocyte, um, which is an immune cell, which is early, an early um, step in the cascade that ultimately creates atherosclerosis, right? So, uh, and then of course, like there are the brain effects. There is no real solid research to, um, to cite with regard to the effect that these oils have on our brains. Um, but because I think they affect systemic health, cardiovascular health, um, I think we ought to be really um, weary about, about over-consuming them. Um, they do, you know, they do lower LDL in comparison to saturated fats, but it's the other, it's the other problems. And on top of that, um, we know that extra virgin olive oil is the staple fat of the Mediterranean diet, which is the darling of the, the of the nutritional orthodoxy. They're not using these polyunsaturated dominant oils in that part of the world. It's the use of extra virgin olive oil that's associated with the robust risk reduction that we see in people who adhere to the Mediterranean dietary pattern. And oleic acid, which is the predominant fat found in extra virgin olive oil, is much less prone to oxidation mm -hmm. because it's more saturated. Mm -hmm. It's not a saturated fat, but it's more saturated than these PUFAs. And they've shown that, that when our lipoproteins are, for example, enriched with oleic acid, that they're less prone to that inflammatory phenotype. They're less likely to get taken up by um, these immune cells. Um, and so for me, it's really about getting rid of those, at least, at least my exposure to them in my own kitchen and, and relying more on extra virgin olive oil and avocado oil, which are uh, much more chemically stable. 
Yeah, I remember growing up at my babysitter, she had the huge uh, plastic bottle of canola oil. Yeah. And then there was the, um, I remember the safflower or the sunflower oil, and it was just everywhere. And that's what she cooked with all the time. And uh, to think how popularized they become even more, and they're used in, realistically, almost every restaurant probably uses them. And uh, to, to think that there's, in the conventional orthodox paradigm, we don't see past the LDL. We go, no, but it lowers LDL. This is every cardiologist is behind it. Exactly. But everyone else, especially the functional docs and, and everyone within that world and nutritionists, we're all just like, what's going on? Why are we still consuming these? Yeah. I think that the, the worst way to consume them is in fried food mm. by far. Um, and I do think that oils, they're, they're, they're sort of like a spectrum, right? Like canola oil is better than soybean oil because canola oil has a higher proportion of oleic acid, mm -hmm. which is that monounsaturated fat, right? And then you have sunflower oil. There are multiple type. There are different types of sunflower oil. There's high oleic sunflower oil, which yeah. is actually pretty benign because yeah. it's mostly oleic acid, um, which is what's implied by the high oleic um, denotation. And so, yeah, I think it's 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 knowing how to knowing the fats to look for, and and you just can't get around the fact that extra virgin olive oil. It's like the hierarchy of evidence. Extra virgin olive oil has been shown in so many different kinds of studies to be promotive of health, why would we want to use anything else? Right, exactly. And um, talking about the high oleic sunflower oil, there's now some oat milk companies that are specifying the type of sunflower oil they're putting in there because they know people are privy to like, wait a minute, what are these seed oils? I heard about this on this blog or this podcast. So um, it's cool that some companies are actually specifying uh, the which uh, the, the 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 value of the oil and how saturated or unsaturated it is. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think. It's, I mean, I think it's. I think it's an important step in the process. I mean, oleic acid is, um, and I talk about this in Genius Kitchen. Oleic acid is the most abundant uh, fatty acid found in nature. Mm. We're made of it. Um, oleic acid is an important constituent of the myelin sheath, mm. which protects our, our brain cells. I mean, it's literally. It's it's breast milk is rich in it. The fat in grass-fed beef and salmon, it's about 50% oleic acid. Mm -hmm. And olea, it's actually named as such for the olive. Mm -hmm. Like it's, We originally identified it and named it because of its um, preponderance in extra virgin olive oil, which humans have been consuming for thousands of years at this point because yeah. it's so simple to make. You just crush olives. It's only the past 100 years that we've been consuming these um, highly uh, monetized yeah grain and seed oils like canola oil, corn oil, and soybean oil. Yeah. And again, a little bit here and there isn't going to have any significant effect on your health. Um, but I really believe, I think that we need to take the precautionary principle with these kinds of fats. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they've only been in the human food supply for the past century. And we're just, we're consuming more and more and more of it because of the pre because of their uh, use in these ultra-processed foods. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a restaurant in Hermosa Beach in Manhattan, which strictly uses uh, avocado, olive oil, olive oil, or coconut. Wow. No other oils. And I remember the first time I went there for dinner, I had a big meal. I, I had like everything on the menu. And usually if I eat that much, I'm in, I have a stomach ache, I'm in a worse yeah. pain. I kept eating, I felt so good. I felt so, my stomach usually cramps up. I can tell when a restaurant's using canola oil sunflower oil, safflower oil, um, any of the oils that we need to be staying away from immediately. Yeah, I mean, 
I just think it's I think it's the grain and seed oils. It's the grapeseed oil. Yeah, the grapeseed um, oil. Any, so I mean, if if there's an ad on TV for it, I think uh, it's something that you're better off uh, avoiding. Yeah. So so back back to the processed foods. Are we? Uh, you you mentioned the study where people are overeating by 500 calories. Is it because they are devoid of fiber? They're they're increasing sugar. Are they, what are they telling our brains? That why why do we need to consume more of it to be satiated? Oh man, such a good question. Um, so I think all ultra processed or the, the majority of ultra processed foods, the especially the kinds that we're prone to overconsuming, they have this characteristic that food scientists refer to as hyperpalatability. Yeah. So it's just that they they combine flavors and and often mouthfeels that send your brain to a bliss point beyond which self control is just futile. Mm. And what they generally signal is caloric density. Now, we live in a time of food security right now, but for the vast majority of our, of our evolution, um, food security wasn't something that we could rely on, right? Food scarcity was, was ubiquitous. And so a food that's highly calorie dense, we're programmed over millennia um, to, we've been programmed over millennia to, uh, to embrace those foods and mm-hmm. to consume them when we have access to them, right? We don't have, um, it's, it's not in our DNA to to pump the brakes on a food that's so calorically dense because that food for a hunter-gatherer would have been a life-saving food when calories were scarce. Today, calories are um, plentiful, right? We live in in a time where for the first time in human history, there are more overweight people walking the earth than underweight. Mm -hmm. So calories are abundant, right? And so that's where there's this mismatch between our food environment and and our genes, right? So... It's that, that that plays a large role, the hyperpalatable aspect of these foods. But then I think what also has, has, has come into play, which has created essentially the perfect storm for the obesogenic food environment, is the fact that these foods are minimally satiating. Mm-hmm. So what makes a food satiating, there are three factors that I like to talk about. One, which you mentioned, is fiber. So we have no biological requirement for fiber, but fiber does uh, satisfy the microbes that live in our large intestine. And it seems that fiber consumption is associated with longevity and reduced inflammation. um, And it's satiating. And it's satiating because it mechanically stretches out the stomach. Fiber absorbs water. And when you stretch out the stomach, in so doing, you turn off the release of a hormone called ghrelin, which Mm -hmm. is the hunger hormone. So packaged processed foods, ultra-processed foods, tend to be fiber deficient. Where do you find fiber? You find fiber in fruits, fruits and vegetables. Um, ultra-processed foods are not those, right? Right. The third uh, factor that makes a food satiating is its protein content. So we have an innate requirement for protein. Protein is an essential macronutrient, and it's been posited that our hunger me- mechanisms are driven almost entirely by our requirement, not just for protein, but the micronutrients that high-protein foods tend to contain. And this is called the protein leverage hypothesis. Mm. So when we ingest protein, it satiates our hunger really well. It's the most satiating of the macronutrients. Close second would be fat. Um, and that's because fat slows down the... So fats, fat actually can prolong the satiety-inducing effect of protein. So that's why... Um, and I'm not a carnivore dieter, mm-hmm. but that's why people that adopt the carnivore diet, they're eating protein and fat. That's all they're essentially eating. And yeah. so you see them get shredded. I mean, carnivore dieters generally are, um, they don't have a problem like getting getting lean because their diets are just that satiating, right? And then the third factor that makes, oh, and also, and ultra-processed foods are tend to be depleted of protein. Their protein's been diluted because A, protein is expensive. 
Um, and ultra-processed foods tend to be this combination of sugar and fat, and yeah, they're generally low-protein foods. The third factor that makes a food satiating is the water content. Now, water has been all but depleted from shelf-stable packaged processed foods because water impedes the shelf stability of a food because it, it attracts mold. And a lot of the time, I think, when you're hungry, there's this, there's this uh, adage in the, in the wellness um, fitness world that if you're hungry, try drinking some water first because oftentimes the signals uh, with regard to hunger or thirst, get um, they cross paths. And this is actually true when you think about it. It makes perfect sense because when water ceased to be available for a hunter-gatherer, the second best place that they would, they would get their needs for hydration met would be food, right? We all know that food, fruits and vegetables and even animal products are a great source of water, right? So um, we know that water is satiating, packaged processed foods, depleted of water. So it's those three factors um, that all play a role in in, in the reasons why these foods tend to drive their own overconsumption and why when we fill up on them, we've already overconsumed them. It's mm. because they're depleted of protein, fiber, and water. And then, of course, the fact that they're, that they're hyper-palatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're tastier than any natural food really um, will be. You know, it's just like natural foods don't, don't taste like that. So that's why people, when they're starting out on, this, on the journey to wellness, really ought to reacquaint themselves with what real whole foods taste like. Mm-hmm. Which, which in many times, I mean, me, I ate all those foods when I was a kid. It was hard for me to eat fruits and vegetables because my tongue, right, my, my whole palate was just used to that and wanting and expecting like the tidal wave of sugar, the tidal wave of salt, the tidal wave of fat, and just hitting my bliss point every time. Uh, so no wonder so many children, it wasn't just me, still so many children, like you said, 80%, are like, I don't want these fruits and vegetables. It tastes nothing like the, the gummies or the, the crackers that I've been eating. And it's, it's wild. It sets up like, a, a, like an unrealistic expectation. It's, it's mouth porn, mm-hmm. essentially. You know, it's like, I think one of the reasons why pornography addiction is actually rising in, in prevalence among, uh, among males. And I think it's because it, it's, it's the proximity, it's the ease with which it's accessed. And it's ultimately the hyper palatability yeah. of digital porn. Like mm-hmm. it's so unlike real authentic encounters, mm-hmm. um, sexual encounters like that, that adults actually have, yeah. that it's making people dysfunctional in a sense. Yeah. Um, and so the same thing, it's like the same exact, from a neurobiological standpoint, it's the same thing that occurs with ultra process, uh, hyperpalatable ultra processed foods that mm-hmm. in short circuits are, are reward pathways. Mm-hmm. And we come to expect this insane over the top flavor from our food. Always. Yeah, always. Now, the beautiful thing is you can actually cook foods in your own kitchen that have that same hyperpalatable characteristic and use healthier ingredients to boot and use those three satiating um, factors, right? Foods that are high in protein, uh, foods that are high in fiber, foods that are hydra- hydrating ultimately. Um, so it's really important to kind of have that knowledge in place so then you can, once you like see the matrix, right, then you can start to manipulate it. Yeah, 100%. And that's sort of like what we're doing with the book, right? You're showing us, hey, here, the, the matrix here, stay away from this. You can enjoy really high-quality, nutrient-dense foods in this manner, and you're going to feel better, right? Where your biology isn't going crazy, your neurochemistry isn't going crazy when you're consuming these foods. And you can finally find a piece in your body where you're going, wow, thank you for rewarding me with these nutrient-dense foods. Uh, which everyone, I mean, that's that's very much so encouraging for me. I'm ready to make some food this weekend on, on that book, man. I'm excited. Yeah, dude. it's uh, It's been a really fun journey. I think one of the biggest factors that um, 
that one of the biggest mistakes that home cooks mistake home cooks do wrong um, is that they under season their food. And adding salt to food, I think, is a big is something that people really need to start doing. Again, we've been told for decades at this point that salt is our enemy, right? That sodium is bad. But there's a lot of great research now coming out that's challenging that notion. And also, we have to remember that the vast majority of sodium that your average American intakes comes from ultra-processed foods and restaurant food, fast food, um, food that's prepared in restaurants. Only 11% of the sodium that your average American ingests comes from their own salt shaker, from the salt that they add to their own recipes when they're preparing food at home, right? And sodium is a macro mineral. It's an essential nutrient that we need to ingest every day for good health, and yet we've demonized it. Yeah. Studies are, are now showing that it's not even necessarily the ingestion of sodium, but it's the underconsumption of minerals like potassium, like magnesium, that play a role in um, high blood pressure and in, in risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. And not everybody, I mean, to be, not every, only a minority of people, about 25% of people are um, sodium sensitive. So the vast majority of people can eat all the sodium that they want and not see their blood pressure increase. Mm -hmm. But sodium is also, sodium consumption today is a, is a proxy, a surrogate marker for the consumption of ultra-processed foods. Mm -hmm. So more sodium, obviously worth health, health outcomes. But it's the processed foods yeah. that are that are the biggest problem, and, and sort of how we do studies in the in the past, right? Where we're taking all of these uh, processed foods, saying it's high with sodium, and then we demonize sodium yeah. as one of the ingredients that we need to stay away from because we know these foods do this. Uh, it it happens so much in nutritional science, but I myself, man, I put I have my I have two giant things of salt uh, right in my pantry, and I'll put it on everything. I'll even put a little bit in my morning lattes. Uh, because I know my body needs it, and my blood pressure is always perfect. Um, I've never been sensitive to sodium. Some of us are, but um, do you, so we can use it liberally in your book. Yeah, I think it's, I, well, I think cutting out the ultra-processed foods is important, and then once you do that, or at least minimize, then you, you really, yes. I mean, go, like, salt is so, it's, it's, the ch it's one of the cheapest and most effective ways to take a single food component or, or a single edible edible item and turn it into food, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there are multiple, there are different kinds of salt that um, have differing effects. So, I mean, my favorite thing to bring into the kitchen is flake salt, like Maldon salt. Maldon yeah. is like one popular brand. But to me, having that in the kitchen is like the easiest and most cost-effective way of really elevating your cooking to restaurant quality. Um, it's also a way to make healthy but bland foods palatable. Yeah. I mean, try eating broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, under-seasoned, without salt. You, yeah. you need salt. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially like if you're trying to get your kids, right, to eat, to eat more healthily, more fruit, more vegetables. You definitely, I mean, you definitely have to salt the food well. And if they're on a diet that is that is minimally processed, um, then they're going to they're gonna need that sodium to feel better. Mm -hmm. And then you throw into the mix um, vigorous activity, right, which increases your uh, excretion of electrolytes, which predominantly sodium is lost when you sweat um, yeah. vigorously. You need to ingest more sodium. If you're on a low-carb diet, insulin, the hormone insulin holds on to, uh, causes our bodies to hold on to sodium. And on just one day of a low-carb diet, you've halved your pancreas is secretion of insulin. So that causes you to drop sodium. Um, you need to get in that salt if you're initiating a low-carb diet to help avert the low-carb flu, which mm -hmm. a lot of people experience. 
um, sweating profusely. I mean, I'm, saunas, exercise, like these things like cause you to sweat. And that's a good thing, right? Because when you sweat, you sweat out certain toxins. Um, but you gotta, you gotta bring salt back to the table. I sauna regularly. And if I don't, um, I, if I don't add electrolytes to my, to my drink, like while I'm sauning, I, I leave the sauna feeling depleted. Whereas the sodium helps me, it, it, it maintains my blood volume, makes me feel good mm-hmm. afterwards. A hundred percent. I can't go in the sauna without, I have my water bottle and there's electrolytes in there. If I run out the electrolytes, I'll put, I'll put in salt. Now there's like a common misconception that it's going to dehydrate you, but that's not true. That's not true at all. So uh, uh, utilizing the salt and then there's some magnesium, some potassium. Man, I come out the sauna and I feel refreshed. I feel like, you know, I come out the shower after the sauna and I feel good. My body feels like a detox. I feel strong. But I've, I've made the mistake many times of going in with just like plain old water with nothing infused in it. And I've been exhausted, man. Yeah, you just feel like you're more prone to lightheadedness. Yeah. Um, it's just not good. Also, I'll add, which I think is is really funny, um, that the number one source of dietary sodium in the American diet, it's not processed meat, it's not canned foods, it's bread and rolls. Mm. So bread and rolls are the number one source of dietary so- sodium in the standard American diet. But when was the last time you heard a dietitian advise their clients, right, to avoid bread and rolls or to minimize their consumption of bread and rolls? No, God forbid you cut out the bread and rolls, right? It's avoid using your salt shaker. That's the that's the, the the dogma that we hear echoed over and over and over again from the medical orthodoxy. But it's so misguided, right? Mm-hmm. Salt is such a powerful culinary tool, right? You take a ribeye, and without salt, it's just a slab of meat. But you apply a little bit of salt prior to grilling it up, and you've got a steak, mm-hmm. which I know you're not into. Yeah, but it changes. But it changes yeah. the game. And I remember when I did it was I would never eat something without seasoning. Like yeah, that. You know, on on veggies. Like I was lucky in that I grew up. My mom loved to season vegetables, and she seasoned them well. Right. Awesome. But I think a lot of people that are going to these like more extreme diets. I think in particular like the carnivore diet, mm-hmm. which. Um, uh, you know, anecdotes are, I think we still need to listen to the fact that certain people seem to be, um, they see a reprieve from, you know, certain symptomology when they adopt it. But I think a lot of people will adopt that diet because they just haven't had well-seasoned vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like teaching people how to prepare veggies um, in a way that is palatable, you know, maybe even hyper palatable, mm-hmm. um, really important because it can be done. It mm-hmm. can be done. What are some of the other favorite spices for veggies that you use or, or hacks that we can approach for people listening to make our veggies taste better? Oh, man. I'm, well, I'm a huge fan of nutritional yeast. Oh, you are? You love it? I love it, yeah. Okay. I love it. It's like one of my favorite ingredients. Okay. Um, are you a fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a big thing, the Bragg's one, right in my, yeah. in my pantry. It's so good. So I have a recipe in my book. It's uh, cheesy baked eggs with broccoli, but it's like cheesy in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically saute up the broccoli with a little bit of avocado oil, which is a super heart-healthy monounsaturated fat. You throw in the juice from a whole lemon, a little bit of lemon zest, some coconut cream, a tablespoon of coconut cream, and two, tablespoon of, two tablespoons of nutritional yeast in the broccoli and you saute it up, you get the broccoli nice and soft and it's amazing. It's this mm. combination of like the savory from the nutritional yeast with the, the acid from the lemon. And that by itself is just, is amazing. You can use that as, as a side for any number of dishes, but um, then you throw some eggs on top of it um, and then you put it in the oven for about 15 minutes. 
Um, and it ends up being this like really savory, creamy, delicious dish. And uh, and I think nutritional yeast is like definitely plays a, a big role in that. You can also throw it on um, popcorn, which is a, a very yeah. high volume snack. You know, yeah. you can eat popcorn is one of those snacks where you can eat a lot of it for relatively few calories. Yeah. Um, and it's a good source of fiber. Corn is a di- I'm not anti-corn. Um, I try to minimize my consumption of grains, but uh, an ear of corn, I mean, that's like a, that's an unadulterated, that's as whole grain as, you know, that's as whole of a grain as whole grains can get. Yeah. And, um, and you know, there's like some carotenoid value in, uh, in, in whole corn. So popcorn, I think, is like a, is a decent snack. And nutritional yeast on that. Yeah. It just ups the, 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 the nutrient density. I love that. So yeah. nutritional yeast, easy hack. Anyone easy could hack. go and get that in their supermarket and, and utilize it and, and just can be liberal with it, really, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not like there's a bunch of sugar in there or a bunch of salt in there. We, we can just utilize it the way we want, right? Now let's chat about something crucial. That is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, Right? We have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or in your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Puris O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Puri is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Puri.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Puri. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha, or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm going right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com drg they're so confident that you're going to love it there's even a 30-day money-back guarantee no code at checkout just go to p-i-q-u-e-l-i-f-e.com slash drg you're going to get 15 percent off plus all those freebies 
Yeah, well, that's a great point that you bring up. Herbs and spices um, really are a way of adding really um, bold flavors to your food, but doing it in a way with um, negligible calorie contribution, mm -hmm. which the same can't be said for sauces. And sauces, I think, underlie one of the big problems with the standard American diet. We just love sauces in America. We, we love to eat bland food that we then drench in yeah. sauce. And sauces, whether it's sugar or fat, add a ton of calories, like, like en masse. Um, herbs and spices don't do that. They add negligible calories to your food. Um, but in fact, they do add a number of really important bioactive compounds that, that um, we know support health and longevity. In fact, people who consume spicy food have reduced risk of early mortality by about 14%. Mm. Um, and I think it's due to these like bioactive compounds. Yeah. And there are hundreds of spices used by people around the world, but a handful of them have been the subject of, of vigorous uh, research. Um, cinnamon is an example of, of, of one of those uh, spices that um, has been shown to have an anti-hyperglycemic effect. Mm -hmm. um, we know that turmeric has curcumin in it, which is a, an anti-inflammatory compound. Um, they all possess, they're all really concentrated sources of polyphenols, which we know support gut health. Um, so herbs and spices, I think, are knowing how to master the, the, the utilization of herbs and spices. I'm really anti, um, like, I'm more about quality of ingredients over quantity, but stocking your kitchen with an array of spices, I think, is like, to learn how to use them yeah. um, appropriately in food is a really wonderful gift and a, and a really, I think, valuable endeavor um, in the kitchen. Yeah. You don't yeah. need that many, but like cinnamon, garlic, cumin is, is wonderful on so many different things. Mm -hmm. Some good high quality salt, uh, black pepper is yeah. great. Um, there's so many. You don't you don't need many, but it's like, it's a really great, um, yeah, great to dip your toe into that pool. For sure, especially to, I mean, it brings your meal to the next level. Yeah. You're, like you said, there's polyphenols in there. There's anti-inflammatory co components, turmeric, anti-cancer, the cayenne. I always, I, I, I love spice. Yeah. So I'll add in a, a, some in there. It, it, I'm always motivated when I'm cooking. I open up the pantry uh, drawer and I, so I can just see them, you know? So then like when I turn around, I was like, hmm, I'm kind of feeling this flavor today. Yeah. I'm far from mastering because it'll taste like Mediterranean with <laughs> Greek and Italian. You know, there's no, there's no consistency, but. That's funny. At the very least, I know that I'm getting these nutrients. Herbs and spices are, for me, the easiest hack in the kitchen to up-level your meal, always. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, plant-based milks, uh, cow's milk, sheep's milk, uh, dairy as a whole. Yeah. Um, and your opinions, because I know you've done a lot of research on this. Uh, I, myself, it does not work well with me. I already know if it, dairy's in the plate, my stomach is hurting, mm. my, my, my stomach's bubbling, I do yeah. not feel good. Um, but what's your approach on from the whole thing, plant-based milks and animal-based milks and conventional and organic and grass-fed everything? Ooh, I like this question. Yeah. So I use I use like almond milk um, for like if I'm, what do I use almond milk for? Well, predominantly I have like these like keto cereals that I enjoy sometimes as like a treat. You know, I so love like, cereal, man. Yeah, I love cereal. That's like my the weakness. format yeah. of cereals. Just like whoever invented like the first cereal with milk. God bless them. Yeah, God bless them. Um, so I'll use like almond milk for that. Uh, with regard to almond milk, you know, there's like the OG almond milks, um, which I actually like and use because they have, when you buy the unsweetened variety, they have like 30 calories in a cup. So it does the job. Very, very low like calorie contribution. 
there are um, a lot more like quote unquote natural almond milks on the market now that use a lot more almonds in their in their production, but the calorie content is much higher. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's just it's worth being kind of aware of that, right? Like for me, if I'm if I just want a little bit of almond milk to like use in my cereal, I'm using the OG stuff because very low calorie contribution. Whereas the more artisanal almond milks now can have like upwards of 150, 200 calories mm-hmm. in a cup. So they're thicker too. Yeah, they're thicker. You just don't. You generally don't want to drink your calories. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's generally going to be true um, with regard to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's almond milk or sugar-sweetened beverages or, or fatty drinks and the like. With regard to dairy, my views have kind of um, evolved over time. I think that dairy, yes, a, a large portion of the population is lactose intolerant. Um, but most, uh, like fermented dairy, hard cheeses, things like that, um, heavy cream, even butter, you're not going to really get a lot of lactose mm-hmm. um, in, in those products. But I do think Full-fat dairy in particular is a good source of some really cool nutrients like fat-soluble vitamins like A, E, D, and K. So you do get you do get some interesting um, micronutrients in full-fat dairy. I also think like dairy has this uh, – there's this interesting science now surrounding dairy fat. Like dairy proportion, proportionally has the highest percentage of saturated fat of any other food group. And yet consistently we see from observational research that – People who consume full-fat dairy have actually reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, um, and that's a, that's perplexing because, you know, we do know that saturated fat drives up LDL cholesterol, mm-hmm. which, when it's too high, that's a risk factor for for cardiovascular disease. Um, but dairy fat doesn't seem to have that effect, and I think it's because of the presence of something called milk fat globule membrane, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it essentially changes the way our bodies interact with dairy fat. And, um, and, and it's one of the reasons why they've shown in clinical trials that heavy cream, for example, has a neutral effect on, on blood lipids, whereas butter, which has had its milk fat globule membrane disrupted by the churning process, butter actually does cause an, an elevation of LDL. And when you ask yourself, like, okay, so what is this weird bubble that encapsulates the triglycerides of, of milk fat? Milk, milk's purpose is to grow... Uh, a neonate into a, I mean, ultimately into a, into a self-sufficient baby animal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of bovine dairy, it's to grow a calf into a cow. The most, the organ that's under the most rapid growth and development in that phase of life is the brain. So milk fat globule membrane, actually, when you break it apart and look at the, its actual constituents, has a number of compounds in it that are really supportive of, of, of good brain health. Hmm. It's rich in phosphatidylcholine, which is an important part of the phospholipid bilayer that forms our brain cell membranes. And it also is a, is rich in something called sphingomyelin, which is an important um, component of myelin, which is the, you know, the myelin sheath insulates our neurons. It's destroyed in, in conditions like multiple sclerosis. So I do think that um, dairy has just a number of interesting nutrients and can be supportive of, of can play a role in optimal health. A lot of people hmm. say that dairy is inflammatory. There have been a, a number of meta-analyses that show that dairy doesn't really have like a, a, a pro-inflammatory effect. Now, obviously, some people are going to be sensitive to casein. Some people are going to be sensitive to lactose. So there's no one-size-fits-all recommendation. But if you're not sensitive to it, I think that full-fat dairy can really play a – can potentially play a, a supportive role. There was a, a study that came out. 
So I tend to go down rabbit holes and I'm particularly interested in brain health. And um, I was like, okay, so are, are, is there any observational evidence linking the consumption of dairy with maybe reduced risk for like Alzheimer's disease? And there was a study that was published um, by this guy, Oriel Willett, who's a researcher whose work I've been following for some time now, who does a lot of research on, you know, dietary patterns and dietary components with, with brain health outcomes. And it was a food frequency quest questionnaire study, so these aren't the most reliable. But what he found was, it was very interesting to me as I was going down this, like, dairy rabbit hole, was that dairy was the one food component that seemed to confer the best, the strongest risk reduction, so the strongest degree of protection against the development of cognitive, cognitive decline over a some odd, I forget the, the, the follow-up, but it was like a multi-year study. Mm. Um, and so, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but I do think that dairy has a number of like really uh, important, um, potentially important compounds in it. Some intriguing effects too. Yeah, overall. some intriguing effects, yeah. Yeah, and, and one, I know it's not for everyone. Some people don't like me react. It doesn't matter if it's butter, if it's ghee even. it's it, I've, My stomach is always hurting, but that's been since I was like six, mm. you know? Um, but it's a bio-individual aspect of everyone, you know? And um, to keep an open mind to it, I always say, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. So when you say there's the full fat and then the butter and the globule is disrupted and churned out, it, that's the spectrum then? So if someone was to want to take it in therapeutically dairy, is it better for them to go for full fat versus instead of butter? Yeah, I would go for like the... So butter and... It's, it's very interesting. Butter and heavy cream start from the same foundational product, right? It's yeah, cream. Yeah, yeah. It starts as heavy cream. But butter seems to have a negative effect on LDL, mm. whereas cream seems to have no effect. So it's due, they think it's due to the presence of this milk fat globule membrane, because otherwise the products are the same. But we know that milk fat globule membrane is, is disrupted yeah. via the churning of, of butter. And so I used to think of, of butter, I, I'll just put it this way, I used to consume a lot more butter. I still use it um, you know, in moderation, but I consider it now uh, an indulgence. Mm. Um, it's going to have the same vitamin content, the same fat-soluble uh, fat vitamins as the heavy cream, mm. but it's the presence of that, it's the lack of that, of that globule membrane, which, which can lead to an impairment of like the lipids. And I'm genetically probably prone to hypercholesterolemia, so that's why I'm a little bit more cognizant of that. Yeah. And we know that brain health relies on cardiovascular health. Um, and observationally, again, full-fat dairy, as opposed to low-fat and, and fat-free dairy, seems to be associated with better cardiometabolic health, lower mm. risk of type 2 diabetes, lower risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, I think that it's, you know, there, there's a major confounder here in, the, in that reduced fat dairy tends to be more processed. It tends to have um, added sugar in it. Uh, you know, like I think a lot of, one of the, one of the more common l reduced fat and fat-free dairy products consumed by Americans is yogurt, which often has added sugar and other crap yeah. in it. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. It is interesting that it's this paradoxical effect, right? Because it's like, now we know it's clear that saturated fats aren't, aren't all created equal. Mm -hmm. So if you were to recommend dairy for people, it would be the full fat yogurt or the full fat milk or the full fat cheese? Um, I would generally, yes, with the exception of... Um, Fat-free Greek yogurt, which I think is a great food for, from the standpoint of protein. 
mm. um, because in an 80 calorie cup, you get about 19, 18, 19 grams of protein. Of, of protein. Yeah. So you're just, you're skimming off the fat, but you're, you're, we're not, so I'm talking about plain, unsweetened. That's, that's like the, the important caveat. Um, but yeah, you're, you're basically like reducing some of the fat calories and increasing the protein concentration mm. with, um, so I buy like, I'll buy like fat free or reduced fat, um, Greek yogurt. Uh, but other than that, yeah, with cheeses, with like heavy cream, um, I'm all about it. And yeah. obviously though, they're going to contain more calories. So you still have to be kind of cognizant of like the calorie, your, your own calorie needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm pro. I'm pro full fat dairy. So when it comes to the quality of it, is there a difference in the conventional versus like the grass fed, or the organic one? Is do do you talk about that at all, or is, or do you see not not really much of a difference? Um, grass fed makes the biggest difference. Okay. Yeah. So you want your dairy to come from grass fed cows, which increases the the nutrient density, increases the vitamin K two content. Um, I mean, dairy is not a significant source of omega-3 fatty acids, but there was a there was a study that showed that um, organic dairy did have a higher um, concentration of omega-3 fats in comparison to like wild salmon, for example, or right. algae, you know, an algae supplement. Uh, it's really kind of nominal, but um, but yeah, I mean, what a cow eats dictates the healthiness of its fat as well as the fat content of its. Um, of its of the dairy that it produces yeah. so yeah i would if you're if you're eating lots of full fat dairy i'm um, on a regular i would look to pasture raised or, or grass-fed okay cows, all right yeah. well you heard that first over here yeah we're talking about yeah so um the last part i wanted to talk about you mentioned uh, when we started the show about uh reducing the toxicants in your in your home or in your kitchen uh what are some things we can start looking out for right now that were really important or something that you found where it was like when you put in your book, this is something that I need to talk about for everyone um, because you find that it's really significant to our overall health. Yeah, I mean, it's such an important one. And I know that you're super passionate about yeah. this too. Like it's a, bit, it's a big topic and um, I, I tried to do it, uh, I tried to give people sort of like an overarching guiding philosophy yeah. um, in the book without going too in, into the weeds. But generally you want to reduce your exposure to plastic in the kitchen. And this is a big, like big issue, I think, whether it's the kinds of um, containers that we're storing our food in or even reheating our food in. Plastic exposure is probably the biggest modifiable um, uh, exposure that most people have to uh, these endocrine disrupting compounds, whether it's bisphenol A or other bisphenols um, or uh, phthalates um, or parabens. Parabens are found in food, can be found in food. So I think reducing your exposure to plastic, getting rid of the plastic Tupperware, you can actually use plastic to store dry foods in. Like that's Mm -hmm. not a big deal, but it's the wet, the salty, the acidic foods, um, the warm foods that you really want to keep away from plastic. And for that, I would use like a Pyrex. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can easily go and buy Pyrex like glass yeah. uh, containers from like, you, you know, your local um, department store. Using uh, generally um, getting rid of like the nonstick pans. There are a few pan brands on the market now that claim to be free of PFAS chemicals. Um, which is generally what you want to look out for. I have no like financial affiliation with them, nor have I vetted those companies. You you probably have. I don't. I mean, but I did. I, I did. I did some on cookware. Yeah, you, know, you did. did okay, you yeah. Like I don't know the. I can't. I haven't validated the authenticity of their claims. You know, but I, I would imagine that it's a lot like the game of chemical whack-a-mole that now exists with the bisphenols. You yeah. know, like you'll see plastics with you know BPA free. Um, 
indicated on the, on the package, but that doesn't mean that they're free of all bisphenols, right? Exactly. They've just removed BPA to appease consumers, and now they're using BPS or BPF. Mm-hmm. Or, um, so I, I don't know. So in general, I, um, I try to minimize using these nonstick items, and instead I have a, I have a cast iron pan, which yeah. is very versatile. Um, also, for people who don't eat much meat, um, a cast iron pan can add iron to your food, mm-hmm. um, which is which is great. And with the right seasoning, which I, I share how to properly season a cast iron pan in the book, um, you can actually it can have a nonstick effect. So that's cool. Uh, so it's a highly versatile kitchen item. I'm also on board with using um, silicone uh, in the kitchen instead of plastic. Mm-hmm. It's generally um, chemically inert. Um, can withstand high temperatures, yeah. and so yeah, I would say that that's that's pretty safe. Um, aluminum foil, I think, is something worth minimizing your your exposure to. I'm not saying aluminum foil is dangerous, but there have been studies. Um, there was a German study in particular that found that when used to marinate uh, to marinate fish with an acidic marinade, led to this dramatic leaching of aluminum ions into the food. Mm. Uh, so I still use aluminum foil when it's the safest option. Um, you can't use parchment paper, for example, in, in every cooking yeah. context. But uh, but aluminum foil um, generally is something that I think to be just to be minimized. Not because I have any data to say that aluminum foil drives X disease state, but right. it's precautionary principle. Right, right, right. I love those hacks, man. Those are so easy. Right, because everyone listening can just make that intervention right now. Yeah, and and I love what you said about the plastic being the biggest modifiable one because we are everyone has BPA in their urine right now and phthalates and and parabens. It's it's crazy. So knowing what it does to our hormones and our whole system, it's it's such a good intervention. But amongst everything else, yeah, I mean I use silicone myself and I threw away the plastic. Uh, what do you call the, the the skillets? Yeah, I threw that away and and I and I utilize uh, silicone now. But easy, easy hacks, man. Um, well, the book, where are we gonna find it? Uh, is it out for the people? Like we we want to know all the details first and man. foremost. Man, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. Um, it's called Genius Kitchen. If uh, the book comes out March 29th, okay. So depending on when you listen to this, you can go to geniuskitchenbook.com for links to all of the different stores. Um, if you live outside of the U.S., there's a link to a store called Book Depository, which offers free worldwide shipping, which is awesome. But generally, it's, at, it's available in every bookstore. Um, and, uh, and if you pre-order it, we have some really great like bonus goodies that we're giving away at GeniusKitchenBook.com. Um, but yeah, it's available everywhere, and I'm, I'm super active on, on Instagram, and I've got my own podcast called The Genius Life. I've been on it. Which you've been on. Uh, yeah, we had a great, great episode. Yeah, that was an that. awesome episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone go listen to that too. That's that's my other favorite one aside from this one. Uh, awesome stuff that you cover. Amazing guest. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to open up this book this weekend. Make some goodies in here. I mean, some of the stuff we talked about already. I mean, like, look, blackberry avocado and basil salad. Look at this. Yeah. Put it right on the camera. Look how beautiful Damn. that is. That's yep. the photography is awesome. The photography is awesome. So things like this, man. Because- Actually, wait. There's a recipe in here that. Oh man, I want you to try it. It's a vegan carrot noodle mac and cheese. Mm. It's so good. It's hyper palatable. That's what I want. But it's amazing. I need I mean, hyper palatable. The photo in there is like. And and dude, this is funny. I'd open up to my biggest weakness: pancakes. 
<laughs> I was a chubby little kid because my mom would make me pancakes all the time. Grain-free, blueberry, orange pancakes with coconut cream. Oh, my Jesus Lord. This yeah. is going to be really good, man. So everyone, go check out the book. Pre-order it because the goodies are out there for everyone. Um, and find Max on Instagram at? At Max Lugavere, L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. And the website? Uh, GeniusKitchenBook.com. Awesome. GeniusKitchenBook.com. It's everything you need to know everything about the book. And, uh, yeah, just hit that up. All right, you heard it here. Max Lugavere on the show. The book is Genius Kitchen. Genius guy making genius foods. Thank you, Max. Thank you, brother. That was Max Lugavere. Man, the way that he explains nutritional concepts in such an easy way is so helpful for all of us. What a blessing he is in the nutritional front and the overall health front. I can't wait to open up that book this weekend and start making some of these recipes. I hope you all get it, get the book, and check it out for yourself. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for supporting the show so many. We're on, what, year three, and we're doing it big every single year. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week.